I'm so glad to be here this morning. I'm glad you're here as well. Thank you for joining with us on campus and those joining with us online. This Sunday is always a sketchy Sunday because uh, we lose an hour of sleep and so you're not sure if everybody got the memo. In fact, I think one of the cruelest things that cell phone carriers could do to us is to pick and choose which ones they're going to change their clock automatically on because really and truly uh, that's what most of us use. We use our cell phone uh, to be our alarm clock in the morning and I, and every once in a while I'm thinking all right what if my clock doesn't change at 2 a.m. or whenever it's supposed to uh, I guess I'll get a phone call if I'm running late but we are here on time and I'm thankful that you are here uh, I'm very thankful to share uh, God's word with you this morning let us open up in prayer before we turn to the scripture uh, Lord I am uh, just so honored and privileged to have this opportunity to share your word uh, not only with your people uh, but also uh, for those who may have never heard uh, the message of Jesus Christ before. And so, Lord, we just ask that the Holy Spirit of God go before us. Uh, Lord, for those who have received Christ as our Savior, uh, Lord, that we would uh, just truly rejoice and remember the beauty of the gospel uh, and live in the beauty of the gospel every day. For those who have never received Christ as their Savior, uh, we pray expectantly anticipating that you will do a work of grace, a miracle of grace in their lives today. Lord, let us be so thankful uh, to not only have the word of God, but in Christ be called children of God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 979, 979. We are going to begin a new teaching series uh, this morning entitled Words from the Cross, Words from the Cross. There will be a total of seven messages that we'll look at, and uh, that'll take us all the way through uh, Easter. In, in fact, we'll finish the week after Easter, uh, and we're going to walk through uh, passages of Scripture that uh, give us the, the words that Jesus spoke uh, when he was on the cross. And we are going to do these in the order in which he would have said those. And so we're going to begin uh, this morning specifically in Luke uh, chapter 23. Uh, the very first words that Jesus would have spoke from the cross would have been uh, somewhere around 9 a.m., uh, between 9 a.m. And, uh, and noontime on that Good Friday uh, some 2,000 years ago. And we're going to specifically be looking at verse 34 this morning, but to get a little bit of the context, uh, we're going to back up a little bit, look at verse 13, beginning in verse 13. The scripture says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man, speaking of Jesus, as one who was misleading the people. Now listen to what he says. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Verse 15, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Verse 16, I will therefore punish and release him. Verse 18, but they, the crowds, all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city. In other words, he started a violent uprising against the authority, the governing authority of the city and for murder. Verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. 
But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. And again, the same phrase is written. I will therefore punish and release him. Verse 23. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man whom had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. That's talking about Barabbas. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were laid or were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left, in verse 34, what would be this morning. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So it's Good Friday morning, somewhere around 9 a.m., and it's killing time, to be honest with you. You see, crucifixion, though as cruel as it was, was not illegal in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was the law that would sentence people to that type of death. And as this group was led out of the city gate, up that dusty path to a place that we often call the Hill of Calvary, not only were the criminals going, the crowd was going, but Jesus, the great preacher from Nazareth, was going. And on that cross, on that dirty path, all eyes could see what was happening. The sight of death, the sounds of death, and the smell of death began to go through the crowd. And Jesus cries out in a prayer, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And it's based off this passage that I really want to ask and answer this important question. Why did Jesus pray this prayer? That's what these words are. They're a prayer from Jesus to his Father. Now the question is, why did Jesus pray this prayer? First, to fulfill his purpose. To fulfill his purpose. Notice that Jesus' prayer is based on his sonship with the Father. He says this, And Jesus said, Father, underline that word, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this is important because Jesus isn't the adopted son of God, right? He is the one and only son of God, right? He's 100% man, 100% God. There is no one like him and there will never ever be anyone like him. And so this prayer is extremely important. And when Jesus cries out, Father, he's in that very moment trusting the will and the heart of God fully, right? Now let me ask you a question. If you ever experience a time in your life where your dignity and your humanity is ripped from you, are you going to cry out, Father? But that's what Jesus does. He cries out, Father. Jesus has no doubt whatsoever that he's participating and fulfilling the very purpose on why he came to this earth. Jesus is fulfilling the very words that were given to us by the prophet Isaiah. 
some 700 years before the birth of Christ. God opened up the eyes and the heart of the prophet Isaiah and he spoke these very words. The very fact that Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, was going to come to this earth and absorb the full wrath and weight of our sin that is due to us. He was going to do it on our behalf. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says it like this, But he, speaking of Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So Jesus came to rescue the rebel, to bear our griefs and our sorrows, to experience ultimate rejection so that we would what? We would have peace with God. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says this, He was oppressed. That means he was made miserable. And he was afflicted. He was humiliated. And how did Jesus respond? The scripture says, And yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So before the high priest, before Pilate, before Herod, before the, the crowds that were shouting out, Crucify him, crucify him, Jesus remained silent. Isaiah 53, verse 10, the scripture says, and it was, listen to this phrase, the will of the Lord to crush him. Not because of his sins, but because of our sins, right? He, was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, yes, death on the cross, but three days later, guess what? Jesus Christ is going to raise from the grave again, right? So his days will be prolonged. Praise God for that. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. That phrase, uh, uh, by his knowledge. In other words, he's not caught off guard, right? Jesus' Jesus's act of sacrifice on the cross is not something that caught him off guard, right? It didn't just, just come up one day. This was plan A from the very, very beginning. The scripture says in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. In other words, Jesus is going to be exalted over all. And the scripture says, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. In other words, those who are us, those who are in Christ are victorious as well. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. His, sin, his death is like no other. And he does what? He makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus stands in the gap between man and and God because of our sin, right? We see this clearly in the verses of Scripture that it was the pleasure of the Father and the pleasure of the Son, right? That, that is remarkable to me, that God the Father and God the Son delighted in Jesus' sacrificial death. Author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 2 says, it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross, Right? And here the scripture says that God the Father delighted in his will for the Son. Now that, that's nothing we're going to do, but it's something that God Almighty has done. You know, when uh, the announcement was given that Mary was going to have a baby, the scripture says that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For why? Because he's going to save 
people from their sins, right? This is why he came to this earth. Uh, John the Baptist, when John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, he says what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so from day one, God's divine purpose through Jesus Christ is to what? To be an accessory for us. He came to die in our place. That's exactly what he came to do. And I love the fact that the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Don't stop there. Verse 17 tells us something important. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because we're already guilty. But in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus is not going to the cross kicking and screaming. No, he's going as the humble, willing servant. That's a beautiful reminder to us. And I love what Jesus says to his disciples in John 13, 1. He says, I have loved them to the end, right? Isn't that what the cross shouts to us? That he has loved us to the very end. So why did Jesus pray this prayer? To fulfill his purpose. Secondly, to meet our deepest need. Our deepest need. Do you believe the cross of Christ meets your deepest need today? I mean, that is a question that must be asked and answered by every single one of us. Does the cross of Christ meet our deepest need? The question is, how so? How does it do that? First, it cancels the canceling of our debt. The canceling of our debt. You know, if anyone ever had a good reason to withhold forgiveness from his enemies, it would be Jesus Christ, right? But he doesn't do that. It's not what we see in our passage this morning. Look at that passage again in verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive. That's a great word. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a word of mercy. It's a word of hope. It's a word of healing. Forgiveness is God's gracious and merciful act of lifting the sentence of guilt and punishment, death that is due to us because of our sin. He fully and finally pardons that from us. He removes that from us. He releases us from our debt. And we know, according to the Bible, that the scripture tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one is good, not even one, right? That's what the scripture teaches us. And our sin deserves punishment, but Christ stood in our place. He paid the very price that we owe. And when you get to Ephesians, Paul says it like this in Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 8, the first part of verse 8. In him, we have redemption. Redemption means that we've been set free by a payment of price. What is the cost? He tells us through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That means that redemption is needed in order to have forgiveness, right? The debt was paid and the byproduct of that is forgiveness of sin. That's important for us to recognize. It's in according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. God's plan from day one is what? A plan of redemption. And a plan of redemption that lavishes his grace on us. That word lavish means to abundantly pour out. And so we need to be reminded as we look to the cross that God is not hoarding his grace from us, right? He's expressing grace to us, fully towards us. But we need to be reminded that when we look to the cross, it's not that God is somehow sweeping our sins under the carpet like they never happened, right? 
He knows full where. He's fully aware of the cost that it's going to take to fully pardon us of our sin. It's the death of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And the cross reminds us that man owes a debt, but he cannot pay it. But Jesus Christ himself is not only able to pay it, but he's willing to pay it. Praise be to God for that. Jesus is able and willing. He dies in our place, not only to bring forgiveness of sin, but to satisfy the very wrath of God. And that's important. That's what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, in other words, we've been declared right before God because of Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So do not disconnect the forgiveness of the sin and the, and the satisfying of the wrath of God, right? That's important because we are owed the wrath of God. That's what we deserve, but Jesus stood in our place. He made us right before God. Therefore, the wrath of God has been satisfied. And the very fact that we have been forgiven by God reminds us that we will never, ever have to absorb the wrath of God, ever, ever. There's no doubt as a follower of Christ that you will ever have to experience the wrath of God. That's what the word of God teaches us. So it meets our deepest need because it cancels our debt. Secondly, uh, it, it's addressing our spiritual blindness. The cross addresses our spiritual blindness. Look at what uh, Jesus says when he prays. He says, and Jesus said or prayed, Father, forgive them. This is the next phrase, for they know not what they do. This is fascinating to me because it talks about uh, our spiritual blindness, or another word would be ignorance. Now, we can't uh, misunderstand the ignorance that is displayed here, right? Uh, In fact, everybody that was involved in this whole uh, sequence of events uh, knew what they were doing to a degree, right? On some level, there was an awareness of what was happening. The crowds knew they were asking for an innocent man to be crucified. Pilate himself, he mentioned multiple times in the passage that we read that I have found no fault in him. Herod himself said, I have found no fault in him. Uh, the, the Roman shoulders knew exactly what they were doing. They knew that they were uh, crucifying this man. Everybody involved, the scourging of Jesus, all those people knew to a degree what they were doing. However, they didn't fully understand, right? There was a spiritual blindness to the person of Jesus. They did not recognize that he truly was the Son of God, the Messiah. And we get some help in Scripture. Uh, In fact, when Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking... uh, about this, he talks about the sin of ignorance. In other words, that God has displayed a, wis- a wisdom that a mere human cannot fully understand. And he says this in verse 8. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. In other words, he's going back to the cross and he's saying, hey, those human leaders that, that, that put Jesus to the cross, they didn't fully understand this. He says, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, if they truly knew who Jesus was, the Lord of glory, and they truly understood their need for what Jesus was going to do, they wouldn't have been doing and saying the very things that they did. In other words, while the, the, the hammers were still hot from striking the nails in Jesus' hands and feet, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
They didn't understand the magnitude of their sin. We understand that as well, right? Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all drive? How many of you are supposed to drive? No, I'm just kidding. How many of you know that when you enter in off Savage Road to San Miguel, the speed limit's 15 miles an hour? I'm not meddling too much. Meddling just enough. And how many of you know that when you enter in from San Miguel into the parking lot of the church, it's 10 miles an hour? And you wonder why many of us go 25 and 35, right? The sin of ignorance. Now you know, so now you're held accountable for that. <laughs> but, but if we wanted to raise money for the city of Charleston, and we staged a police officer right there on San Miguel, seven days a week, by the way, you know how many tickets they would write? And in your moment of disbelief that you actually have done something wrong, you're going to say, well, I didn't know the speed limit was 15 or 10. Now, sometimes the cop will let you off, but most of the time he says, listen, or she'll say, you're driving, you're responsible for the laws that are on the road, right? You can't plead your ignorance. In other words, ignorance does not excuse the guilt. Does that make sense? And we get a tremendous picture of this in Leviticus chapter 4. In Leviticus chapter 4, it talks about how the, the high priest would make a sacrifice for the sins of ignorance. In other words, that there were sins that were being committed that either A, people did not fully understand what they were doing, or they had little to no awareness about what they were doing, and so those sins needed to be atoned for. They needed to have a sacrifice in order to forgive those sins. And so when we look to the cross, yes, we're guilty. But sometimes in our sin, we don't understand the magnitude of our sin. And so Jesus, in a way, is praying, Father, will you just hold off for just a moment on your wrath and judgment towards them? Give them a chance to have the spiritual blindness removed from their heart, right? And praise God for that. Because there are so many people that are convinced that they're just good enough. You're not. Ask the Lord to remove the spiritual blindness of your heart. And that's what the cross reminds us. Secondly, the, or thirdly, we see that the cross meets our deepest need because it's sufficient for all, sufficient for all. Uh, Jesus, in an incredible act of love on the cross, standing in our place, providing the forgiveness of our sin, is sufficient for all. Look at verse 34 again. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now that begs a question. Who's the them, Right? Is it the Roman guards? Is it the people of Rome? Is it the criminals on his right and left? Is it the religious leaders, the Jews, the crowds, who the week before are crying out, Hosanna, God save us, who are now crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Is it Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus? Is it the disciples themselves who, who Peter denied Jesus, right? Is it the mockers? Is it Pilate? Is it us? I think the, the them is all of it. Guess what? You and I are part of the what? We're part of the them. We are Jesus' enemies, and he came to forgive us. The cross shouts loud and clear, I have come for you. In other words, there is no one who is off limits from the grace of God. John writes about this in 1 John chapter 2. He says, 
Uh, he is the propitiation. Speaking of Jesus, he is the propitiation, the substitute for our sins. And not for ours only, but also the sins of what? The whole world. Every part of humanity has the ability to be saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is the satisfactory payment. He is the substitute. In other words, no one is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness through Christ. But it's important to understand that though this provision is universal, it's out to all people, it's only applied to those who have received Christ as their Savior. So that's important. Jesus did everything that was necessary for you and I to be right with God. The question is, are we going to receive him? Are we going to trust in what he has done? So it's sufficient for all. We also see that uh, on the cross, Jesus meets our deepest need because the cross is an unending gift. It's an unending gift. Uh, Jesus says in his prayer in Luke 23, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That initial phrase is so important. And Jesus said, because the Greek tense is he kept on saying. He kept, it's not one time that he said it. He kept on continuously saying, when they nailed him to the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. When they mocked him, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. When they shouted insults at him and humiliated him over and over again, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This is a reminder that Jesus' forgiveness is unending. The author of Hebrews helps us understand this. He says in uh, chapter 7, verse 25, he says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, that's the important phrase, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. Now, that, to save to the uttermost, sometimes people will equate that to that, again, nobody's beyond the reach of God's grace. That is true, but that's not what this verse is addressing. If you want to see that applied, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is probably a better place to go to, verses 9 through 11 specifically. Now, the context of Hebrews 7 is talking about how uh, the, uh, a human priest, specifically the Old Testament priests, were insufficient for the full sacrifice that needed to be made, not only for the sins of the people, but their own sins. I mean, think about it. They're having to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he's the great high priest, and his sacrifice is once and for all, right? It is final. And so this idea of to the uttermost, uh, the word actually talks about complete in its fullness, right? So when we look to the cross, we rem we're reminded of the unending gift of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Meaning that his forgiveness of sin for the child of God never stops, right? He's not a game one day and then maybe the next day. Jesus forever is forgiving your sins, right? That's what the cross is reminding us of. So that to the uttermost is talking about completion, all time. His forgiveness is complete. It lacks absolutely nothing. It never, ever stops. So it's an unending gift. Now that begs another question. What does all this mean for me today? Right? What does all this mean for me today? How shall I respond? Three simple words. Receive. First word, receive. Forgiveness must be accepted. Again, Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for all, but it's only applied to those who have received Christ as their Savior. It's important to recognize the truth, that your sin deserves death. That's what Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
by God's grace through faith, we are gifted forgiveness. That's what grace is. So have you placed your faith in the finished work of Christ today? Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? That's what Jesus says in John 14. He says, uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It begs the question. Remember what was said of the rich young ruler? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Listen, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're that rich young ruler. You have amounted so much stuff in your life, if it be education, hobby, recreation, career, family, all those things. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you know at the end of the day when everything is tallied up because you have not received Christ as your Savior, you forfeited your soul. And that's what the scripture is telling us. There's only one unforgivable sin, and that is a denial of the Spirit's work, right? So if, when the Spirit calls you to salvation, if you deny that, that is the unforgivable sin. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But the question is, do you truly believe you need forgiveness today? Remember, spiritual blindness. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. There was a song that was written in 1994, which was probably before some of your time. Uh, and I'll just read it to you, what it says. It says, I was in the crowd the day that Jesus died. And as he hung upon the cross, his mother cried. I saw the crown of thorns. He wore the stripes upon his back. The water and the blood ran out. And when the sky turned black, my mind was filled with anger. My heart was filled with shame. This man brought only healing. Who could bring him pain? Why does it seem that the strong always victimize the weak? And suddenly I found myself standing to my feet. And I cried, who nailed him there? This child of peace and mercy, who nailed him there? Come and face me like a man. Who nailed him there? And the crowd began to mock me and I cried, oh my God, I do not understand. And then I turned and saw the hammer in my hand. I am just a Roman soldier, an ordinary man. I love my wife and children. I do the best I can. How could I have killed him? It must be someone else. There's got to be an answer. I just can't blame myself. I nailed him there, the child of peace and mercy. I nailed him there. I am the guilty man. I nailed him there. With my sins and my transgressions, I cried, oh my God, now I understand when I turned and saw the hammer in my hand. Do you recognize your need to have your sins forgiven? Receive Christ today. Second, rest. Rest. In Christ your sin, past, present, future are 100% forgiven. You are no longer under the weight of condemnation. No longer called to carry the burden of your sin that burden has been lifted the question is why do so many of us as followers of christ live like we still carry the burden of our sin why why are we not convinced that past present future sins have been forgiven in christ listen your value and your worthiness is displayed fully on the cross christ loves you completely right and yet we have this idea because of the sin of our past or the sin of today or what we may do in the future that we have to somehow earn or secure right standing before God. 
that we have to somehow pay off a debt that's already been paid in full, right? And many of us are not experiencing the joy and the freedom of what it means to truly be a child of God. What do we know about God's love for us? Romans 8 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of the God? Who is in t- indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen. The encouragement for us today is to rest fully, fully, daily in the rest that we have in Christ because of our sins being forgiven. The psalmist writes in Psalm 103, verses 11 12, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. They're not coming back, right? Isaiah 43 says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now that word remember in the Hebrew is important. It doesn't mean that God has amnesia, right? That's not what that's saying. The word remember means that he is, he is choosing not to bring it up again, right? How many of you have committed a sin and somehow it just keeps coming back up over and over and over again? How many of you do that to people? Praise be to God, he doesn't do that towards us. He chooses not to bring it up again. Where in your life have you forgotten to fully rest in God's love and forgiveness towards you? The sin that you've committed will not be brought up again because Jesus Christ has satisfied it in full. Third, reflect. Reflect. You know, there are many things I love about Jesus. One of them is he practiced what he preached, right? He practiced what he preached. Jesus is on the cross and he's showing love to his enemies, right? That's what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus is reminding us. God desires us to do what? To be forgiving in the same way that he has been forgiven to us. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The word be there is very important because it's in the present tense. Keep on becoming. Keep on becoming kind, right? Keep on becoming tenderhearted. Keep on becoming forgiving. That, that idea of forgiveness from a human perspective simply means this. Keep choosing to release others from the hurt that they have caused you, right? Don't hold on to it any longer. Part of that forgiveness is a reminder that am I truly going to trust God with the hurts that people have given to me? Am I going to trust that God is both just and he's able to heal? And sometimes we live lives not reflecting forgiveness because we feel like we have to hold, hold to it. And yet who's the one that's constantly dying inside? We are the ones when we hold on to it. Jesus reminds us that he can be trusted to deal with the hurts of our past. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued doing what? This is important. Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Again, through all of that, Jesus is trusting the will and the heart of the Father. The question is, Are we going to do that today? Where in your life have you not extended forgiveness to those who have hurt you? 
the very fact that Christ has forgiven us fully sets the foundation for our ability and capacity to forgive those around us. That doesn't mean that that thing's hunky-dory again. It doesn't mean that we're trusting them again. It just means that we're choosing to release them. Trusting in God's justice and trusting in God's healing. The question is, if you're not releasing that person, why? Why? Ultimately, it's a lack of trust in the Lord. That's really what it boils down to. Again, the question is, why did Jesus pray that prayer? To fulfill his purpose, to meet our deepest need. He cancels our debt. He addresses our spiritual blindness. The very fact that it's sufficient for all and it's an unending gift. The question is, have you received it today? Have you received it today? As a follower of Christ, are you resting in that forgiveness today? And are you willing to reflect that forgiveness today? Whatever your decision is today, the altar will be open for you to pray. You can pray where you're at.